Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We have three stories today. The first one, The Wives of Weinsberg, adapted from a retelling by Charlotte Young. This is a story about some heroines with quick wits and great hearts. Two, The Most Precious Thing. It's a story of a young wife who matches words of love with deeds of love. And our third story, Admetus and Alcestis, a retelling of an ancient Greek tale by James Baldwin. And now the wives of Weinsberg. It happened in Germany in the Middle Ages. The year was 1141. Wolf, the Duke of Bavaria, sat trapped inside his castle of Weinsberg. Outside his walls lay the army of Frederick, the Duke of Swabia, and his brother, the Emperor Conrad. The siege had lasted long, and the time had come when Wolf knew he must surrender. Messengers rode back and forth. Terms were proposed, conditions allowed, arrangements completed. Sadly, Wolf and his officers prepared to give themselves to their bitter enemy. But the wives of Weinsberg were not ready to lose all. They sent a message to Conrad, asking the emperor to promise safe conduct for all the women in the garrison, that they might come out with as many of their valuables as they could carry. The request was freely granted, and soon the castle gates opened. Out came the ladies, but in startling fashion. They carried not gold or jewels. Each one was bending under the weight of her husband, whom she hoped to save from the vengeance of the victorious host. Conrad, who was really a generous and merciful man, is said to have been brought to tears by that extraordinary performance. He hastened to assure the women of their husband's perfect safety and freedom. Then he invited them all to a banquet and made peace with the Duke of Bavaria on terms much more favorable than expected. The castle mount was afterwards known as the Hill of Wybertrue, meaning woman's fidelity. We'll return with our second story right after these sponsor messages. And now, the most precious thing. It happened long ago that a young man and a young woman fell in love with each other and decided to marry. They had almost no money, but they did not hesitate over that. Their trust in each other gave them faith that their future together must be a bright one, as long as they had each other. They happily chose a date on which they would join hearts and souls. Before the wedding, the girl came to her fiancé with a request. "'I cannot imagine ever wanting to be apart,' she said. "'But it may be that, in time, we will tire of each other, or that you will be angry with me and want to send me back to my parents' house.' Promise me that if this should happen, you will allow me to carry back with me the thing that has grown most precious to me. Her fiancé laughed and could see no sense in what she asked, but the girl was not satisfied until he had written down his promise and signed his name to it. Then the two were married and began their life together. They set their minds to improving their worldly position. They were both willing to work hard at it, and soon their patient industry found reward. Their first successes made them even more determined to put poverty behind them, and they worked harder than ever before. Time passed, and their purses swelled. They became comfortable, then well-to-do, and finally rich. They moved to a bigger house, found a new set of friends, and surrounded themselves with all the trappings of fortune. But in their single-minded pursuit of wealth, they began to think more of their things than of each other. More and more, they quarreled about what to buy, or how much to spend, or how they should go about increasing their riches. 
One afternoon, as they were preparing a feast for several important friends, they argued about some trifling matter, the flavor of the gravy, or perhaps the order of seating at the table. They began shouting and accusing each other. "'You care nothing for me,' cried the husband. "'You think only of yourself and the jewels and the fine clothes you wear. "'Take those that are most precious to you, as I promised, "'and go back to your parents' house. "'There is no point in our going on together.' "'His wife went suddenly pale "'and stared at him with a distracted look in her eyes, "'as if she had just seen something for the first time. "'Very well,' she said quietly. "'I'm willing to go, "'but we must stay together one more night "'and sit side by side at our table.' "'for the sake of appearances in front of our friends. "'The evening arrived. "'The feast began. "'It was as bountiful as their ample means allowed. "'When, one by one, "'the guests had succumbed to its influence, "'and her husband, too, had fallen asleep, "'the good woman had him carried to her parents' cottage "'and laid in bed there. "'When he woke the next morning, "'he could not understand where he was. "'He raised himself up on his elbow to look about him, "'and at once his wife came to the bedside. "'My dear husband,' she said softly, "'your promise was that if you ever sent me away "'I might carry with me the thing that was most precious to me. "'You are that most precious thing. "'I care for you more than anyone else, "'and nothing but death shall part us.' "'At once the man saw how selfishly they had both acted. "'He clasped his wife in his arms, "'and they kissed each other tenderly.' That same day they returned home and began to devote themselves once again to each other. Our last story is called Admetus and Alcestis. It's adapted from a retelling by James Baldwin. Stories of one spouse risking or even giving up life for the other appear over and over throughout the ages. This tale takes place in the region of classical Greece called Thessaly. The ancient writers Euripides and Apollodorus, among others, tell the story. Admetus was the name of a Grecian king who ruled many, many years ago. He fell in love with a beautiful woman named Alcestis and asked if she would be his wife. The wedding day arrived and the guests came from far and wide. Apollo himself came down from Mount Olympus to join the feast and he brought a present for the young bridegroom. It was a promise from the gods on the mountaintop that if Admetus should ever be sick and in danger of death, he might become well again if someone who loved him would die in his place. Admetus and Alcestis lived together happily for a long time, and all the people in their little kingdom loved and blessed them. But at last Admetus fell sick, and as he grew worse and worse every day, all hope that he would ever get well was lost. Then those who loved him remembered the wedding gift that Apollo had given him, and they began to ask who would be willing to die in his stead. His father and mother were very old, and could hope to live but a short time at best. So it was thought that one of them would be glad to give up his life for the sake of their son. But when someone asked them about it, they shook their heads and said that though life was short, they would cling to it as long as they could. Then his brothers and sisters were asked if they would die for Admetus, but they loved themselves better than their brother and turned away and left him. There were men in the town whom he had befriended and who owed their lives to him. They would have done everything else for him, but this thing they could not do. Now while all were shaking their heads and saying, Not I, 
the beautiful Alcestis went into her own room and called to Apollo, and asked that she might give up her life to save her husband. Then without a thought of fear she lay down upon her bed and closed her eyes, and a little while afterward, when her maidens came into the room, they found her dead. At the very same time Admetus felt his sickness leave him, and he sprang up as well and strong as he had ever been. Wondering how it was that he had been so quickly cured, he made haste to find Alcestis and tell her the good news. But when he went into her room, he saw her lying lifeless on her couch, and he knew at once that she had died for him. His grief was so great that he could not speak, and he wished that death had taken him and spared the one whom he loved. In all the land every eye was wet with weeping for Alcestis, and the cries of the mourners were heard in every house. Admetus sat by the couch where his young queen lay, and held her cold hand in his own. The day passed, and night came, but he would not leave her. All through the dark hours he sat there alone. The morning dawned, but he did not want to see the light. At last the sun began to rise in the east, and then Admetus was surprised to feel the hand which he held growing warm. He saw a red tinge coming into the pale cheeks of Alcestis. A moment later the fair lady opened her eyes and sat up, alive and well and glad. How was it that Alcestis had been given back to life? When she died and left her body, the shadow leader, who knows no pity, led her, as he led all others, to the cheerless halls of Proserpina, the queen of the lower world. "'Who is this who comes so willingly?' asked the pale-faced queen. And when she was told how Alcestis, so young and beautiful, had given her life to save that of her husband, she was moved with pity, and she bade the shadow leader take her back again to the joy and sunlight of the upper world. So it was that Alcestis came to life, and for many years she and Adventus lived in their little kingdom not far from the sea. The mighty ones on the mountaintop blessed them, and at last, when they became very old, the shadow leader led them both away, this time, together. We hope you enjoyed our stories here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. We do appreciate reviews, so if you have a moment, especially if you're an Apple listener, please do send us a kind review. Reviews are appreciated, and they help new listeners find us. 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales offers stories every Wednesday and Sunday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you for listening. Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon.